Welcome to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. Here is your host, Bill Faith. The STR Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Market My STR, the ultimate all-in-one marketing platform for short-term rental hosts. Are you tired of juggling multiple marketing tools? Say goodbye to the hassle and make your life as a host a breeze with Market My STR. Boost your booking rates and increase your revenue in no time with our powerful features. Our platform streamlines your marketing efforts so you can focus on what you do best, providing unforgettable guest experiences. Whether you're a newcomer or a seasoned host, Mark on My STR has got you covered. Stay connected with your guests using our comprehensive set of communication tools. From custom landing pages to text messages, email marketing, and social media integration, we provide all the tools you need to elevate your short-term rental business. Streamline your operations, enhance your guest experience today. Don't settle for less so we can have it all. Make the switch to MarketMySTR's all-in-one marketing platform and watch your business soar. Visit MarketMySTR.com today to sign up for your free trial. That's MarketMySTR.com. Elevate your short-term rental business with MarketMySTR. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to STR Unfiltered. I'm Bill Faith, your host. And I have a very, very special guest today for you. I know we don't do this very often on this podcast, uh, but this is something that you are going to want to tune into and probably even grab a notebook and take a few notes along the way. This gentleman and myself have two mutual friends, Douglas Schwartz, uh, out of Executive Limousine in Long Island. He grew up with this gentleman, Brandon, and also Steve Carlos. And I've seen him speak twice in my life at uh, once in, I think it was Atlantic City and maybe once in Atlanta. And he's kind of branded as the the go-to guy that really revolutionized uh, the sports memorabilia industry. He founded Steiner Sports literally on 4,000 bucks in a one-person office and then ended up exiting to Fanatics, if you're familiar with Fanatics Online. He's now an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, a marketing genius, and a thought leader that you want to pay attention to because he has life-changing information for you. And it's a pleasure for me to have him here today, Mr. Brandon Steiner. How are you today, Brandon? Excellent. Beautiful day. And uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Look forward to the conversation. It is absolutely a privilege. So I know a little bit about your story because we have a mutual friend that grew up with you and your brother back in the day in the Rockaways. But kind of tell me about, you know, where did you start and how did you lead into Steiner Sports? Because that's really your first big deal, right? I mean, I, I like to think a lot of the things I did as a kid was a big deal. I, I tell people all the time is that where you grew up and where you were raised and who raised you is a big deal. And that usually is what sets the foundation for you to do great things. That's why I always tell people that are younger, you know, pay attention. You know, there's a lot going on. I know you're younger. I know you don't have the clear path that's set up, but a lot of it's getting set up, whether you like it or not. If you can pay attention a little more and lean into it, you may get a lot more out of it. I happen to have a mom that was really aggressive, taught me a lot about business at a really early age, and it was extremely helpful and me doing really well as I grew up. But, you know, you know how kids are. It's, it's tough to listen to your parents. You get tired of hearing it. But, you know, if you've got some parents that have done pretty well and they're smart in some, some regard, you may want to slow down, lose the ego parent-child thing, separate who your parents are and who's going to teach you better than your mom and your dad. Nobody. So I was fortunate enough to have a really smart mom. My second book, you got to have balls was a, her favorite line, which is be fearless, be aggressive, be relentless. Don't stop at success. Be extraordinary. Be the best that ever was. And you can do that. If you put the time and energy in and you get, and you do what people really want you to do. 
without boundaries, which is what most people do these days. You know, ah, I've done enough. It's enough. Why? Why is it enough? If you could do more, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do everything you possibly can? But it's, it's amazing how people put up these walls about what they think the value is. To me, value is what you can do for someone that they can't do for themselves. So, you know, as I grew up and you know, I was in the restaurant business, that was kind of my thing. And anytime you're servicing people, it's always a great way to start your business career because that's what it's all about, serving and solving. And you were in the pizza business, right? With I was Larry? The, I was in the hotel restaurant business, more of a cook, gotcha. um, more, more of a back of the house guy. And then when I went to Syracuse, I learned how to get ready for the front of the house and work for hire for a few years. And that's really what led me to the opportunity. I went to, from Hyatt, I went to the Hard Rock, and that was the first Hard Rock in, in the States, in New York City. And it was a huge success. I was the assistant general manager around the place at night. And immediately I thought, wow, we could do this Hard Rock thing in sports. So really my first real claim was I opened up really one of the most, the most successful electric sports bars in the country, the only two at the time, in 1984. Because I thought about the memorabilia at the Hard Rock and the screens. We eventually could watch all the games. We had the only satellite dish in, in New York. So all the athletes and players would come in and watch these out-of-town games. And that's when I met a lot of the athletes. And people would call me up here. I know that guy comes in. Can you get me this guy to do this? Can you get me this guy to do that? And that's kind of how I got ready when I couldn't raise enough money. So sometimes the setback is sometimes the initiator for the, you know, for the launch. So I couldn't raise enough money to open up what, what I would have been like an ESPN zone. I started Steiner. 4,000 bucks, and I was just doing a lot of athlete appearances, as many as 2,000 in a year. You know, the athlete marketing wasn't as popular back then, but I got to know a lot of players and laid the foundation down for working with athletes and understand how they work. And I, at the same time, always knew that the collectible thing was going to be a big deal if I could do it the right way, because people wanted to leave behind. They wanted to have something to remember the athlete by. Right. You know, me memorabilia is memories. So I thought it was a good opportunity to, when I have to done the Steiner marketing with marketing of athletes, which I still do to this day. I'm still booking players like there's no tomorrow because those are not easy relationships to get. Right. You know, we, we talk to these players and they trust you. But, you know, with, with the memorabilia, I was in business for seven years before the memorabilia thing kicked off, grinding, pivoting. So I tell people, you know, what, is, what does that mean? Can you elaborate, unpack yeah, that I mean, a little I bit? Were you going like to like the of, county fairs and the shows and yeah. all that type of grinding? I was just bringing players where anybody would, you know, anybody I could talk into. You know, I was doing trade shows, PR tours, you know, anywhere that I would get an idea that I thought a player would fit in. I get on the phone and say, I think you should use a player. Because remember, it wasn't that popular then. Right. So I would call companies up and tell them to use a player to be more popular. And they trusted me to the point where I was doing all these grand openings. If you remember in the early 90s, all the Kmarts, Walmarts, sports authorities, uh, all these sporting goods stores were opening up many, many of these big stores. And they were getting vendors to come in and bring athletes in just to create some attention. So that was like my first big break, doing a lot of those from Malls of America to every mall you imagine in the country. And there was a grind. I was pivoting. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was meeting athletes. I was trying to get my way into the business, golf outings, charity events, whatever I could do to get activity going. And... You know, you talk about 2,000 appearances in one year. That's a lot of players. I was doing them all. I had an assistant that would help me with the contracts. And I was picking up a lot of players, writing out the checks, everything, everything. That's a, that's a huge number. You're literally doing like four or five in a day sometimes. There were weeks where we did 40 or 50 in a week, you know, for an opening of a chain. You know, they're opening up five, six stores where they were uh, doing a launch. But for in a particular region, they wanted to have two, three players in each store for a week. And with 10 stores. I mean, so I, what, I what not, kept, I you, what kept for, you going, Brandon? Why? I mean, that had to be tough to do uh, that in tough. traveling the country. What was the drive behind that? 
you know, I thought I had something. I wasn't sure what. I told my wife I'd see her in a couple months. That's how hard I was working. I'd sleep in the office sometimes. I, I don't know. Like, I had a feeling that was going. I, I didn't want to go work for someone else. That drove me. You know, I, I, I didn't want to do that. And it was just so new. The business was so new. No one really knew what to make of it. I knew I was on something. And it took a few years to figure it out. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't clear like it is now with the sports <laughs> business being so big. It was very unclear. And, you know, getting the players, I was getting work. They had not made a lot of money. The Brooks Robinson, Johnny United, Roger Starr, they hadn't made the big, big money. So when right. I come with five, 10, 15 grand, it was a lot of money for them. And they were a lot more attentive and, 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 and interested. You know, as things progressed, you know, the money started getting bigger. But what happened was I wasn't making a lot of money. And my wife sat me down and said, you know, I think you should think about maybe another career and how we're going to afford to raise a family. And I took 10000 out of the bank. I said, I think I can get these guys to sign some stuff. So when I do an appearance, I'll add on a dozen balls as a raffle, have them sign some helmets, and I create a little closet for you know to, to sell people stuff when they do these appearances. So they have a mixture of stuff on, on a trade show table to raffle it off. People would stop. Wow, that's really cool. And that was the beginning, 10000 bucks on that. And then you know, all of a sudden, like some stores started calling me saying, you think I can give me some of your stuff to put in the store? I want to try to sell it. And it was at a time when there's a lot of fraudulent autographs going on in the late 90s. And I had a great, really good reputation for working with players. You know, I was working with tons of players and people knew me. They knew the name. So when I attached my name to the collectible thing, I had some instant credibility because people knew I was with the players. And, you know, in the collectible business, there is only two lanes on a highway. Make no mistake. There's the right way and there's the wrong way. There's no middle ground. Well, it's kind of real. It's kind of, right. it's real or it's not. So we never compromise on our, on, our, on our authentication. We never compromise on the quality of our product. And I always had a, creative side to my brain of how I want to create things. The stuff that I always wanted as a kid, you know, is, is you know, kind of the stuff I started creating. So right. I started creating product, uh, reinventing product, replicating product. I go back and replicate Wayne Gretzky's rookie year stick. You know, I go back and recreate a jersey that somebody wore 30 years before with a jersey company and started taking off. And that's how we really built Steiner. So the, I, the I've, I've heard a rumor Steiner, that you, the oh, sorry. I've heard a rumor that your big creation was the dirt out of Yankee Stadium. Can you tell me about that? I could, I mean, that really happened a little later on because the real creation was remember the moment, you know, memories of his memorabilia. And I started finding all these magazines that I've been collecting all the years because I had a reading disability. And I'd start pulling out these great moments, Bobby Orr flying through the air, Carlton's fist. You know, it's all these great moments, that home runs, Bobby Thompson shot around the world, Reggie Jackson, three home runs in a game. So I clipped those photos and tried to find the photographer's and I have the player sign the photo and write an inscription on the bottom of it so you knew what that moment was. That wow. was really the beginning of me changing the business. And it was, you know, I did the silver line. It was a, it was a silver line, platinum line of collectibles. You created that. a great that. moment, and it had an inscription on there. That was my You thing. created that? Yeah. That was the beginning of saying, don't just have a player sign anything. Have them sign something that relates to a great moment. So we have Carlton Fisk getting that home run. We go replicate the bat. We replicate the jersey and everything was around that home run, the date he hit it. And then we get the pitcher to sign the ball that pitched on that. And that was all around a great moment in time. That, I think, really changed the business. What happened literally in the mid-2000s, 2006, there's a really big turn. I always say it's not what happens to you in life. It's what you do with what happens. Right. So we're rolling along. We have like 60, 70 athletes on the contract. And at this point, really controlling a lot of things that are happening in this market as we're growing it. And 
you know, big downturn, real estate, uh, you know, everything started going really bad. And I was trying to think of something I could sell my customers to be more reasonably priced because people were kind of feeling a little poor in that downturn in the economy, if you remember it. And yep. uh, we started selling the dirt from all the different teams. And we sold over $50 million of the dirt where you make keychains, pens, um, you name it, clocks with dirt. You know, um, we put dirt on a photo, adhesive it, spray it on, so you have the actual dirt on. We put a, a dirt on the bottom of a case, so you buy a ball, and there'd be dirt from that team's dirt. I always think not all dirt is equal. The viscosity, the color. You should really go on, if you go on YouTube, watch my TED Talk, um, Syracuse, Brandon Stein's Syracuse TED Talk. It really talks about how I created like 200 SKUs of dirt products and how I took really a simple product that I had plenty of inventory of and really kind of saved my company back over a couple of years where I was having trouble getting people to buy the more expensive stuff. That's, an, that's incredible. That the, the moment in time, my moment in time, was 1988 game one world series kirk gibson you know limping around and i still have that photo today of him doing this rounding second base and it's pretty amazing to meet the guy that kind of created that for me because i still live so, but, but taking that further though bill right great moment right we said we have kirk sign that photo but later on i went back to kirk and said hey give me five lines about what happened during that day Tell me what happened. You know, oh, he threw me a curveball. I was in the clubhouse getting warmed up. Never thought I was even going to play. So we did the story photo as well as the inscription. And that, that's digging in. I always say your first idea is not your best idea. And it's, you know, you got to take a good idea and not stop. I think success is one of the biggest deterrents for more success. It happens all the time. One of the worst things that can happen is, wow, we did great. That was great. Uh-oh. No, what that means is now you can get to extraordinary. You can get to like insanely, like if you want to keep going, because usually a great idea will lead you to something even much better. I always use the example of Oreo cookies, right? I don't think you're old enough to understand it, but mo most of my childhood, there was a single sleeve and there was a, uh, a package with three sleeves. That's it. Right. That's yep. the only way you bought an Oreo cookie. Great cookie, great idea. I'm sure they sold a ton of it. The product manager came in one day in Nabisco and said, no, I got this idea. We're going to do a small pack of the Oreo cookies. He got fired finally. That's, that's ridiculous. We got to be able to do more here. And the new person came in and created over 87 levels of Oreo cookies, some double stuff, single stuff, white cookie, black cookie combination, everything else, pie crust, toppings, Oreo cakes. I mean, you name it. And even Oreo apparel. I mean, you go to a supermarket, half an aisle is dedicated to Oreo cookies. But for 20 years, you can buy a single and a triple. That right. was a good idea. Great cookie. Did incredibly well. And they sat on that idea and wasted opportunity for years. So somebody came in and decided to look at the business different or take the idea further, which is always the best idea is to take the existing idea of what you already have, use common sense and empathy and compassion to drive your first idea to the great idea. That means Brandon, why do most people head, pivot after the first great idea? They don't, they don't take it to yeah. that next level. They say, I've had this success and now I'm going to try to do something different, right? As opposed to, elevate why is that because they, they're inside their own head they're working on their own numbers the way to pivot is you got to get outside your head forget about yourself you want to fill yourself you got to forget yourself and what you want to do is you want to get in your customers heads you want to think like they're thinking and empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes a common person's shoes so what is that person thinking about when they got oreo cookies that love them that you know, that's their favorite number one cookie what are they thinking they want other flavors they want other brands if somebody finally got out of their head 
stopped worrying about their numbers for the day, started thinking about what other people were looking for when I went into a supermarket and started sampling some other flavors and ideas and found that it was great. Then they started doing contests where people would invent different flavors and stuff that they wanted. Then they had some Oreo cookie contests who could eat the most Oreos and dunk in the cookies. They started coming up with some creative branding. Then they started thinking that you have Oreo crust, Oreo ice cream, and started collaborating because the best way to expand on an idea is get out of your head, finding out what your customers are feeling and thinking, but also collaborating with other great top brands and seeing how you combine their product with yours. Hence the ice cream, hence the cake, the toppings, getting together with a Baskin Robbins. You go now, there's Oreo cookies on every toppings display for yogurt and ice cream. Like, that's how you do it. And I think that sometimes people get so stuck in their head, but what you want to do is get out of your head and increase your common sense, which is increasing your empathy and compassion and thinking about what other people are thinking. And then you see the white space. That is such great advice. And I talk about it a lot that, you know, I use the term, I've been fortunate enough to stand on the shoulders of giants and they've elevated me. And I think there's a reason that you see successful Fortune 500 companies and publicly traded companies that have boards of directors to help guide and you know, have a different perspective for the CEO. I've had some pretty successful exits in my career. I've done 29 startups. So I've had 18 exits. A couple of them have been pretty decent size. I know you had a pretty big one with Steiner and a lot of people ask me, so I'm gonna ask you this question. How did you determine that you wanted to move forward with that exit? And then how do you determine kind of the monetization of that exit? Do you take one lump sum? Do you create an annuity? How did you kind of run through that as the entrepreneur, but also as a family man? Well, I think that's a good question. And all those things you mentioned play a role. I sold my company in 2000 because things were really blowing up and I knew I was going to need the capital. And I was either going to have to get investors, a bank, or a partner. I found the partner that I thought could help me at that time because they were very big on the athlete appearances and they were ready to support my collectible thing, which nobody knew what we were doing, including me. I went in there and made the most bullshit sale of all time on the collectible end, but they loved what I was doing on the marketing end. And what I was doing on the marketing end was what really led me. So I'd book a bunch of players for really good endorsements and they'd let me do the collectible thing. It's kind of, all right, we'll let you do that too, but she just made me a hundred thousand dollars on a Gillette commercial. So they let me do that. And that was kind of how the two things work. And that's how I'm able to get a Muhammad Ali, a Jeter and all those guys. But when, when I sold, I knew I needed a partner. I was 40 at the time give me an opportunity to be independently wealthy the rest of my life. But I just wanted to have that. I, I just feel like I lost part of my family growing up as they were growing up because I was working so hard. And this would give me an opportunity to take my family life to another level without being up one night worrying about uh, alone, which, you know, when you're expanding your inventory, a lot of people grow out of business because right. you're growing, there's money on the street, there's inventory. I knew I was going to need some real support. So I found a company that had deep pockets. I ran with them for 20 years as they helped me grow the business. I was about to buy it back. And then, you know, you know, Fanatics kind of did a little bit of a hostile takeover. I was ready to do something unique and different, which is what I'm doing now with Collectible Exchange. I wanted to create more of a marketplace to help people sell their product back and forth, help people authenticate and offer a bunch of services. And I knew I could always do the agency part with marketing of athletes, whether I was with them or not. So that second thing was tough, whether to leave, retire, you know, 60 four years ago, do you start a new company? Do you have the stamina? Do you have the energy to go bring it? Because you're competing. I'm not looking to be pretty good. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not like a, well, do the best I can kind of guy. Like, you know, I'm going to do it. I want to win. I compete. I want to win. I want to do something that's extraordinary and different. And most important, I want to wow my customers. I want them to go, wow, I can't believe I just, what I just did with Brandon, his new company. Why I can't believe what he just did. 
So that's always on my mind. If I can't do that, then I'm definitely going to go home and I'll find something else to do. You know, I've been teaching, speaking, but, you know, I've spent a good amount of the last four years building this new company I'm very proud of because it's tough to be what I did at Steiner. You know, it was, it was an amazing company and I had an amazing impact on a lot of customers. I was a hands-on CEO. I talked to my customers, which is what gave me the edge. I'm not just telling you to do that. Like, it's amazing when people run companies, they don't talk to their customers. They don't show up. Right. I mean, you would see me in front of my store for hours talking to customers, getting feedback. And it ain't easy because they're not all good feedback. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you got to have thick skin. No question. You got, you got to listen. You know, and, and I look at it like I could do that or I could go spend a ton of money on market research and hoping that people will. But, you know, if they had market right. research back in the 20s when they were surveying people that had horses and buggies, if they, would, they would say we need faster horses and better, more comfortable buggies. We need to have a car right now. So right. You know, I, I believe in hands-on product, you know, hands-on sur surveys. Go ask the people, talk to the people, especially the ones that are entrenched in your business that, you know, people are collecting and buying a lot of stuff from me. I wanted to know what they thought. I wanted to hear it. And I spent a lot of time doing it. So you, you said a lot of things I want to unpack, but I want to kind of focus on two. And I want to start with something that you said that, you know, I'm not going to just restart a business at 60, I think you said four years ago, and try to do my best. I think there's a common thread between successful entrepreneurs that achieve things that are bigger than we could ever dream of because we strive to be the best and we are not satisfied with being in the 90th percentile or the 80th percentile. I'm 50, so I'm a few years younger than you, and I'm architecting my life to not have to restart at 60. So where do you get that drive? And did you, and, and my, my big thing, the second part of this is how do you balance that with your family? So I'm a huge, I'm a huge component of totally inter, intermingling family and business life. I don't think you can separate it like church and state because we're just, for us, we're as being ADD, OCD, quadruple type A, all those things that successful entrepreneurs have as traits. It's challenging. So can you unpack those two things for me? It is challenging, but ultimately you have to do ultimately what you want and Listen, you can't overthink it. You know, the most important thing is the thing that really drives you as an entrepreneur, as a business person, is curiosity and enthusiasm. When you go back when you're 10, 11 years old and everything's a possibility, it's because you were incredibly curious and you're enthusiastic about it. You didn't know better, but you were just questions and a lot of energy. And I think you had to get back to that mindset. You know, you know, you know a lot, so you're not a newbie to business, but you got to reinvent and reconnect with your enthusiastic and curious channels. That's everything to get started. The other thing is, is, is for me anyway, it's like, you know, I gotta be a little more careful not to be doing business with people that annoy me, getting into projects that I already know I've been down that road. There, there, there's some people, everybody has a, a to-do list, you gotta have a not-to-do list. Right. So I stay away from, you know, certain deals that I could make a little bit more money. Now look, I have the advantage, I don't have to make a lot of money, I don't have to make any money. I'm doing this because I love the business, love the customers, so I can walk away from things. And that's a real strength. When you're going to go reset, you have to also look at your priorities. How much money do you need? If you don't need a lot, you have to remember that. Now, here's the tricky part. So assuming you have a decent amount of money, but you don't, you're not ready to hang it up, you've got to train your brain to wake up broke. Because nothing happens until your back's against the wall. And unfortunately, if you now have the I'm good, got a nice house, got some cars, got some money, you know, part of your DNA is I'm good. So you now got to get into it. You got to kind of trick your brain into like, wait a minute. I got to make this happen today. You got to wake up broke. You got to make your refrigerator's empty. 
because that's when you push yourself and you get super curious, super enthusiastic. You follow up with all the people you need to follow up and say, you know, I, I'm no, I take nothing for granted. High level of humility, make believe I'm 21 years old, just starting for the first time. However, in my soul, I know I'm a favorite. I know I'm good. I know what I know. And I'm comfortable with that. My mindset is I'm an underdog. I'm broke. I got to get something going today or maybe I'm going to starve. So, you know, I got to keep those two connected because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm a valuable person. I've done some really epic stuff. I don't want to feel like, no, I've had nothing. I've been able to look back on my career now. It's been epic and it's been great. I'm a lot more grateful for it. And that's the last thing I'll mention is that if you want to move forward and do something great, you have to come to terms with the past and increase your level of gratitude. Happiness resides on the cross sections of growth and gratitude. So you got to be in growth mode. No matter how much you think you know, you got to make believe you know nothing, you're broke, and be in complete growth mode with curiosity, enthusiasm. And you got to have an extremely high level of gratitude and love some of the worst things that have happened to you in your life. You got to learn to love them. And that's like my big turning point for me. If I couldn't do that, I probably could have reset. I had to go back and look at a lot of situations that did not go well for me. That really pissed me off. That really set me back. But I've grown to love them. A, because maybe they were a learning lesson. B, because it's just part of life and I have to just accept it. But you got to come to terms with that stuff to move forward. You got to clear the path. And it took me a couple of years. It wasn't an overnight thing, especially after losing my company and my name, Bill. It wasn't easy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Brandon Steiner, everybody. Um, what an amazing 25 minutes. You can connect with Brandon at brandonsteiner.com. His next book is coming out soon. It's going to be called Waking Up Broke. You need I'm to write that. About I've gotten so much feedback on that idea, and it's worked so well for me. And by the way, I'm giving out any of my three books for your people that are listening on uh, Collectible Exchange. Just go there, click on. You'll see all you have to do is pay for the shipping. I, I love my three books because... They don't tell you what to do. They show you what to do. You see, I'm a pretty straightforward guy. And everything in those books, you can put into play easily. People that read those books come up to me and go, you know, Brandon, I got to tell you, it was a good book, but pretty easy. Like, I mean, you're really not that smart. I'm like, exactly. Anybody, that, that, I, think, I think people overcomplicate stuff, right? Exactly. And they, they're looking for the complicated, where really, if you do the basics extremely well, you can get ahead. And and I believe in taking those two extra steps, right? Like you talk about sleeping in your office and every successful entrepreneur has done the things that, that you're telling them to do. The, the question is, is are they going to take those two extra steps? Are they going to wake up broke? Or and when you do make your first million. At five o'clock, Bill, on Friday afternoon at five o'clock, I'll be here answering the phone. I've made more money on a Friday at five. When people go, oh, it's Friday. I got to get home. Why? Why do you have to get home on Friday at five? To me, every day is Monday. Every day is Friday. Every day is Saturday. I don't separate the days. That's another thing that drives me crazy. Oh, it's Friday. It's mindset. Okay. Yeah. So when people call me on a Friday at 5 o'clock, like, that's the guy who's getting shit done. I made a fortune just being here on Fridays at 5 o'clock. But remember, I think about increase one your enthusiasm, time, increase your curiosity. Brandon, one time I interviewed Friday. a sales rep and for a pretty high-level sales position. It was right before Thanksgiving, and we were talking about initiatives to close out the year. And he's like, people don't buy during Christmas. Christmas parties are all distracted. I said, you're not the fucking guy for me. Go sell for somebody exactly. else. I'm selling it's seven days a week, 365 days a year. Sometimes it's products. Sometimes I'm selling a relationship. I'm selling next year. 
there's always the pre-sale. There's always the post-sale. The follow-up is where the fortune is. Those are all critical things that you're constantly got to be rattling at. If you're thinking, well, Friday's a slow day. I'm not going to work that hard today. I'm not hanging out with you. Well, it is Friday, so I guess I better let you go. We've been going for almost 30 minutes. You got to get back on that phone and close some deals this afternoon, right? Absolutely. Listen, I love selling and it doesn't matter. I don't differentiate a hundred dollar sale to a million dollar sale. Same enthusiasm, same excitement, because that hundred dollar sale tomorrow could be a million dollar sale in a month or two. I, I agree. Brandon, thank you so much for being here. Those of you that are listening, there are so many nuggets for you to unpack <laughs> here. And the number one thing I want you to really pay attention to as we wrap this up, you didn't hear him talking about the house that he lives in or his cars or how big his office is or how many millions that he made when he sold to fanatics. This is really about the grind. This is really about the business building. It's about that enthusiasm. It's about that mindset. That's what we all need to be successful as entrepreneurs. Brandon, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to uh, speaking to you again in the near future. Call if you need anything. Thanks for having me, Bill. Love your show. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to STR Unfiltered. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.